0: Thank you. to another episode of the be well cartel podcast join us as we break down the truth behind all things fitness nutrition mindset and more to help you form your own holistic definition of what is truly healthy for your body with a healthy dose of sarcasm dad jokes and real life experiences if you're already a be well cartel fan don't forget to leave us a rating and review on apple Podcasts and share your favorite episodes with your community Thanks so much for being here, and we really hope you enjoy our newest episode of the Be Well Cartel. So we're back, and we were having such an interesting conversation before we started recording that I was like, hey, you guys, can we just talk about this as we kind of roll out the beginning of our
1: podcast? And so... Yeah, we're, we- we're finally not going to just tease you guys with saying we <laughs> cooked about something cool. We're going to share it. <laughs>
0: And so we were actually talking, I mean, you know, we, we sometimes let you guys into what's going on in our heads. And this time we figured it's, I think it's a really important conversation because we were talking about relationships and the way that we can be so self-aware but like I was just saying like you can be really really self-aware but at the same time sometimes you like even though you know your tendencies you almost see yourself like as a third like as a separate person and you're like the train you're like the train is barreling down the tracks and you're like I know I'm doing something self-destructive in this relationship but I can't stop it yeah And we were talking about it kind of in
1: the context of dating and the beginning of relationships and but then how that stuff can kind of hang around even when you get into a relationship yeah we were talking about it all three of us are pretty independent ladies we all run our own businesses which I think is a fairly independent thing to do it kind of shows that we have that trait and we were talking about how that can show up when you start dating someone but also like sort of
0: yeah deeper deeper in yeah. And it's interesting though, because, so I don't know if you guys know a lot about like the different attachment types. Is that something that you guys have dug into like secure yeah. attachment, avoidant yeah. attachment? So my yeah. dad actually, my dad likes to psychoanalyze me sometimes, which is, is one of those things where I'm like, this is, you know, the, the, the one that needs the psychoanalysis is doing the psychoanalyzing. How curious. Um, but yeah, he likes to psychoanalyze me. And, and a couple of years ago he goes, Oh, you're avoidant attachment. And I was like, what does that even mean? Like, I don't understand what you're talking about. And so I looked into it and I was like, oh, oh my gosh, I am avoidant attachment. And so if you're listening to this and you're like, I don't know what you're talking about, there are, I believe, four different attachment types. There is, so anxious attachment is like the kind, if you're the kind of person that, you know, if someone you love isn't paying attention to you, you're like very needy. Or if you're just like needy and you feel like you're kind of needy in general, which isn't a bad thing. Like needy isn't necessarily a bad thing. Um, that would be anxious, like oh my gosh, tell me that you like me, or let me know that you like me. And then there's avoidant, which is <laughs> me, um, <laughs> which me is too. basically <laughs> yeah, which is basically like oh you t- you like me? Cool. I'm just gonna run the other direction because like why would you like me? That's insane. Like leave me alone. You're so annoying. And then and then there's secure attachment, which is um, basically you know individuals. Which Holly, I feel like you're probably pretty secure. Where I ironically, I'm completely insecure attachment. Oh, really? Yeah. But oh, I'll, let them, yeah. I'll let you explain
1: so them. I'll let you explain them and then I'll tell is you. My kind of like, you stuff.
0: have the proper, the proper like give and take in a relationship. And that and and so basically you're able to like express your needs, you're able to listen to others' needs, and you have sort of like this open communication where you don't kind of like freak out about stuff as much, I guess. And then there's anxious avoidant. I'm probably there's probably other ones too, but these are the ones that I understand. Anxious avoidant, which is like you don't, it, and I think that I lean more, maybe more towards anxious avoidant is like, you want people to kind of, like, you, you don't want people to be overbearing in relationships, but at the same time when they're not, you're like, oh my God, do you not like me anymore? So it's kind of like, leave me alone, but don't get too close at the same time, which I'm sure is very confusing when you're trying to be in a relationship with me.
1: Yeah. And I mean, so, so if we go to secure attachment versus insecure attachment, like secure attachment is basically that, I mean, besides what you just said, it's also you expect, Acceptance and Mm -hmm. so people who have secure attachment, um, tend to be like they're people that you probably perceive as uh more confident, and you're like, wow, how can they just go and do that thing? And it's because they have this secure attachment style where they don't like they just don't expect rejection, and if it does happen, it therefore doesn't affect them as much because they're kind of like, oh. That was interesting, but then they don't see it as a personal failing, right? They just expect acceptance the next the next time. So it's kind of like, oh, one person didn't accept me, like, oh well, next person will. Whereas insecure attachment is like an expectation of rejection, and expectation of being uh set like outside of the group. And I've you know I've talked a lot before about how I grew up with very severe social anxiety Mm -hmm. and like that you know those two go hand in hand i think it'd be very difficult to have social anxiety and have secure attachment um and so it's something that i think i obviously i'm a lot better with it now but it's still like an underlying theme for me that i'll expect rejection and there and like and i had to i have to talk to kevin a lot about this because uh for him it's really important to understand that like small things that he won't perceive as a rejection i will interpret as rejection um oh, like like really small things and that's this goes back to you know the things we talked about all the time uh he and I things like if he doesn't get up at the time he says he's going to get up in the morning because we said we were going to have breakfast together I perceive that as rejection whereas for him he's like oh I was tired so I slept more and I'm like no you rejected you rejected me oh my me. god Holly I'm the same yeah and so like that that was like something I didn't realize about myself for a long time despite the social anxiety background And once I realized that, I was like, wow, it's so much easier now to communicate to Kevin like why certain things that he might do or say affect me in a certain way because I'm
0: interpreting
1: them as a form of rejection within
0: my relationship. So it's really interesting that you say that. And I think it's just probably from my end, like because you and Kevin, I feel like have done so much work on your relationship that it gives me the like the the like I had the perception of like oh you're really secure in your relationship but I imagine like as you saying that it's like well yeah because you put a lot of work into getting there and yeah I it was that- not definitely communication was
1: not always like that like you know before the podcast we were talking about how the independence that we're both quite independent people and it reached a point where we let it get way too far where we were mm-hmm. like living in the same place and it was kind of like a see you when I see you situation and we had to kind of reassess that but I think that Part of like being long distance has forced us to really get better at communication because you can't just have surface conversations when you only are talking to this person for like a few hours each week and you're not going to accidentally bump into them. And so we worked on it a lot from that. And there's still, there's, for sure, there's still a lot of work to do. And we're both, we both started off as quite closed off people when it came to talking about emotions, which made it more difficult. And I would guess, Olivia, similar for you, like Ed used to travel a lot, I think, for for work. And I think when you have someone who's away a lot, yeah, communication becomes really important also for that security piece. And I do feel very secure in my relationship. And it's not that when I have those personal threats to my own attachment style that I'm like, my relationship's falling apart. But it's just like it, it evokes a very strong emotional reaction in me.
2: Yeah, Ed used to travel a lot. And also we have lived in different cities and different countries a lot as well. And our communication used to be terrible. And that was me. Like I just used to not be able to handle because my I'm like... I will just avoid if if something is hard I'm like can I just go to bed and put the covers under my head and never come out again and so that was something that was really challenging for us for many 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 years and also that coincided with me and my um, when I really got into like bodybuilding and stuff and I became very very like insular and that was really challenging so I think that those that kind of experience and also with Ed like those two things have kind of like um, grown and developed together, which is kind of interesting. But like I was saying before we started recording, I think that the biggest thing, like we've been together for, I don't even know, it's like 12 or 13 years now. I think it's 13 years and married for one year. And we, our relationship is the best. It is like, it just gets better and better and better. And why that is, is because we do so much work on our own and then we come together and we just like have amazing communication like he speaks to someone I have someone that I speak to um, and then we bring that together and since we started doing that it's just improved our relationship so much and I think that that's something that can get quite tricky and I see this a lot in women where women might be a little bit more interested in doing kind of like self-development and growth and stuff like that but then their partner maybe isn't. And there's kind of like a a lot of blocks there with what they can actually do and like that growing together. So, and that comes with that communication piece as well. But yeah, I think that that has just been the most um, impactful thing, just our, our communication. And so much of this takes time, right? And I feel like people are always in
1: such a rush. I mean, it's nature of our culture in general, but I think people are always in such a rush to like, create the ideal relationship when or the truth is the matter things when things don't go right. But mm. and, and you can try to fix things when things don't go right. But but assuming that within a year or within two years your relationship will be at like the ideal place it needs to be to keep going is is pretty crazy considering how much work you've done on yourself till that point. Like let's say we're all sort of 30 something and we're all still working on ourselves. And so therefore to expect a relationship that's only been in existence for a year or two years to be as developed as yourself when you've been developing yourself for decades, it makes very little sense. And it also implies that a relationship should be like in a static form, whereas it really needs to be so flexible because
0: life will happen, like undeniably life will happen. It's, it's mm. like a plant. It's like, and I'm very obsessed with plants right now because I'm like digging into this whole plant mom thing. But I feel like it's like a plant. It's like you have to cultivate it. And sometimes plants are going to go through hard times. It doesn't mean you stop watering it, right? I mean, if you stop watering it, like the plant's going to freaking die. I'm realizing this <laughs> now as I've That's become... probably
1: the story of most of my
0: plants.
2: <laughs> uh,
0: all of so, my plants right now are just dying. And I don't know Well, yeah, know but why. it's 37 degrees in Seoul. So that makes sense. But I think- oh. I, I, it's so interesting because I think for me, like when I look back on all of my past relationships and like why they failed, it's like, yeah, I probably wasn't with the right person. But then again, it was like, there was so much of it that had to do with me not feeling like I could accurately communicate how I felt. But a lot of that had to do with, I wasn't aware of how I felt. And so my work on self-awareness and self-worth, I think has gotten me to a point where now I can accurately communicate my needs to other people. And this has improved like my friendships. This has improved like any relationship I get into. And it's also made me really clear, like w- like I can now identify in dating the things that I'm like, oh yeah. And things that I'm like, oh no, like within five minutes, like I could go on a date and be like, this is never, uh-uh. Whereas, or, or meet someone and be like, oh, actually like this could be a plant, you know what I mean? And (laughs) I think like, so this is, this is a very like lovely and insightful conversation and we're going to head into an interesting topic today that is like also lovely and insightful, but may get a little bit more like riled (laughs) up, um, which I'm really excited about because we're going to talk a little bit about, um, about some things in the fitness and nutrition industry that. Make that really grind our gears, and so if you've seen Family Guy, there's an episode where Peter starts. Uh, it's it, doesn't he like start his own like fake TV show where he's like, You know what really grinds my gears? and then they put them on local news. Am I making this up? I, I haven't think they watched end up,
1: Family Guy, yeah, in like I think there's. 15 or 16 years. So if I
0: right. remember this correctly, I think they put Peter on, a, on, a, on the news where he has a, sec- a segment called, you know, what really grinds my gears or something like that. And that is what we're going to talk about today, um, with things, our least favorite things about the fitness industry. Um, and I think that there are a lot of directions that we can go today. We're going to start talking about one of the, the, the most prevalent issues, I think, which is body transformation
1: marketing. Yeah, this is my least, this is my least favorite thing about the fitness industry. And I feel like it's at the root of a lot of everything else that we'll talk about today, all goes back to this extreme focus of the fitness industry on body transformation marketing. And what we mean by this is basically that the majority of the fitness industry is based around selling you a smaller version of your body and promoting the idea that. Uh, like if you have all these moralistic values of better discipline and better self-control and better knowledge, that your body will be smaller. And yeah, it's it's extremely problematic, and especially with the three of us, where our coaching is very focused on seeing people as a holistic person and all the aspects of you as a human a lot of the barriers that we have to go through with clients is based on them internalizing decades of this marketing from the fitness industry.
2: I I was actually looking at someone just yesterday with this and I was confused because on her Instagram, she was talking about like food freedom and all of this kind of stuff. And then on a next post, she's got like these body transformations. And then on another post, she's like 30 day sugar free. And then she's like, I made it, and then having like a like stuffing her face with like donuts and stuff like that, and it's just like was that a joke? Con- no, I mean this is it. Like this is someone I know. A very confusing and just very, just very painful because it just none of that makes sense. And I think that you know something with this this body transformation thing. What is really messed up about this? is that this is like coaches and trainers, whatever they call themselves, they are using their clients as like their business cards. Can you imagine what that feels like for clients that don't make it onto their body transformation, Instagram, like posts, imagine the clients how they would feel if they're not the ones that are actually being celebrated on Instagram am I not doing a good enough job? Like, do, do I not deserve to be celebrated for the progress that I'm making as well? And like, this is why it's just extremely
0: problematic. I, you know, and, and I can honestly say, like, if you guys scroll way, way back in my Instagram, I think I have a couple pictures like that on there from a long time ago. And, and my intention with those photos was never to say like, look how amazing this person is. It was to say like, hey, this is what shows on the outside, but also like, here's all the other things that went into it. However, like, as I think we should, we should be really understandable. It's like, Your opinions and thoughts and the way that you do things over time can change. And so this is like just also another testament to like, just like your mind can change about things like your body is not static either. And so I think that when we're seeing these, these before and after photos, it's like before what and after what, like, those are just snapshots in time, like life continues. And so I think that, you know, obviously when we're talking about like, you see, you know, some big influencer that's selling their like 30-day shred or whatever it is, and they show you a before picture and an after picture, like there's a couple things that we want to think about. One, what is the after after? Like there is, I mean, I, I say this all the time. It's like, there's no after, it's just during, right? And, and so it's like when you're in the process of living your life, like how do you accurately take a snapshot of what that looks like? I mean, I can, I can honestly, like if I took a picture of my body every day for a week, it would probably look pretty different over the course of the week, just depending on like what I ate, how I felt, how I slept, all of these different things and lighting. Like there is so much manipulation that goes into these photos that it's not just the like mindset behind the people that are posting them and the way that people think about it, but it's also like the actual photo itself is not in most cases, it's not real life.
1: It's also problematic because there's a very strong implication when there's a before and after that whatever the before is, that is worse than whatever the after is. Oh, and totally. there's always, there's always uh, an implication that the after is better, but that before is going to be someone else's quote-unquote after, you know, or it's going to be someone else's quote-unquote during. And so for someone to be scrolling through Instagram and potentially have made a lot of progress in their health or on a weight loss journey, if that's what they're on at the moment. And then to see someone else's transformation posted with their current body as the before, or something, uh, something smaller than their current body as the before, can be incredibly impactful and really disheartening. And as Olivia mentioned earlier with, you know, the potential of a client seeing someone else's transformation story from their same coach posted and wondering like does that make my progress less impactful the same can be said for even if it's not your coach or even if it's nothing to do with you that's still gonna weigh down on your mind and so it's it's just lazy it's a very lazy way to market it's it's so easy because it preys on people's fears and it preys on everything the media represents about ideal body shapes and it's just it's so easy it's much much harder for us to market our businesses without before and after photos. It would be so much easier for me to just post pictures of physical progress my clients have made, but that's not mm-hmm. what I want to promote. My clients to think about anyway. And yeah, like you, Jillian, Well, I've never used photos of my clients' transformations, but I certainly used to use pictures of my own. I certainly, yeah, did. I certainly used to use that. And like, and I was drawn into working with my first nutrition coach based on their before and after photos that they posted. So I've been sucked in by it for sure. And and I was technically a success story of it because I I did the process and I got the six pack and I posted the before and after photo and then I maintained it. And yeah, it wasn't a success.
2: And, uh, you know, what you said there about the the lazy, lazy marketing and, you know, lazy coaching kind of piece as well, like putting all of your eggs in that basket. It's just further perpetuating the, the problem of all of this and with people seeing exercise or food as... Just means to an ends to a smaller body. Like that is the bigger thing, right? And it's like we need to be doing exercise for how it's actually enhancing our life and, you know, getting stronger and like doing all of these things. And food is not just a eat less kind of situation. It's like, it's so complex, there's so much in there. And when we see these body transformations, it just continues to feed into that story that exercise and food are the things that we need to control in order to be worthy, to be loved, to be accepted. It's, it's, I I really feel, I know that the title of this podcast is our least favorite things in the fitness industry, but it's. I just, it really, really infuriates me. And it doesn't, it doesn't show all of the other things that people are actually progressing with in their life. Like better sleep, the way that they feel about themselves, self-efficacy, confidence, and confidence isn't in a body shape. You know, it's...
0: (sighs) Well, I think that there's a couple, there's a couple issues here. And I think that one is that like, really, it, it comes down to like any comparison photo. And I know that now there's become like, there's a big trend of people posting photos of them. Like here was me, you know, and I've, I've did this months ago, kind of before I started to really understand what was behind this is like, this was my body when it was really lean. And this is my body now. And, and it's like, but someone else can still look at that and be like, yeah, but you're still like a normal size human. Like you're still considered like by all, you know, by all considerations, you're still considered like a fairly lean individual. And that is like, there's so many, like my explore feed is just like riddled with these, like, this was me being super like, strict. And this is me like healthy. And it's like, okay, but your healthy looks so much different from someone else's. But then like you guys say, it's, it's, it's lazy, but it's also we're taught. And this is just to like, if you like, if you're not in the fitness industry, if you're just someone that is like, consuming the, this material we are taught as coaches that this is the way to market yourself that like we need to market to people's pain point and we need to we need to look at like what are you what is really painful for you and like how do we harness that and make you feel like we can solve that pain point and honestly like it's really hard to to market yourself in an efficient way that helps you stand out that isn't like that but I think that One of the things, you know, everybody says this, like with marketing is like, just be consistent. And it's like, honestly, you guys, that is what pays off. Because when you truly speak from what your values are, and this is you as an individual as well, when you understand what your values are and you speak that way, like people start to listen and people start to pay attention. And the more that you repeat yourself, like Olivia, you've told me this a million times, like when I'm trying to like sell spaces for my group coaching, you're like, just repeat yourself a million times. And it's like, we think that we're going to drive people nuts repeating this like same sort of values based uh, marketing over and over. But I think that's what like honestly I think that's what we need to just start doing. And though so if, if these people that are like marketing the transformation photos spoke with their values, would you actually want to buy their coaching cuz their values would be like I value weight loss. I value your uh your ability to sacrifice. Like I I don't I don't care about your balance with, you know, I want to say work life. That's not what I'm looking for. You guys know what I'm talking about. And it's like if you were to actually hear, like if you were to think about next time you look at one of these transformation photos, like think about what does this say about the values of the person that is promoting this information? And you may uncover something really interesting. Maybe there's someone like us that hasn't quite realized yet the damage that it can potentially cause, or maybe they're fully aware and they're doing it anyway.
2: And it's like, um, like you said, your explore feed, right? That's just like riddled with these kind of like hey I used to look like this and now I look like this and and women who are like pinching their body fat and saying look at my cellulite and look at my tummy rolls and like I'm normal and this is normal and no filter and blah 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 and it's like that is still extremely surface level and that is still extremely like diet cultury and it's like we have to go another level deeper than that and be like why are we even talking about this like, why are we even doing this? Like, why are we talking about this? I do think there is some. there are some aspects of this, but I think that it's got to do with the intention. And I think that a lot of those posts come from a place of wanting, still wanting validation. And I think that oh, that yeah. is the difference. It's like, you're still
0: beautiful, were, right? even though you're not as quote unquote fit or lean as you used to be. And it's like, it doesn't fucking matter. Right. So there can be people that are like,
2: showing their bodies and like showing the, the the real parts of their body and stuff like that. Um, but if there is still that intention of like, validate me because I'm doing this and this is a very brave thing, then that is a problem. But if, it, if it's like an educational thing and being like, hey, you know, that like this is completely normal, then... Yes. You know, it's, it's so it's, I think it's, I think it is a really confusing thing, but I think that we, that is where us as consumers need to be very, very critical about where we are taking in those like, um, what's it called? Um, fake like vulnerability, right? We see that all the time on Instagram, like fake vulnerability. And that is just rife within the fitness industry within and health fit industry within these kind of posts. What you said, Olivia, is is echoed in studies they've done,
1: which is basically like, there's a lot of studies that link social media consumption with worse body image and greater body dissatisfaction and all this kind of stuff. And what they've done recently actually is like dive into does the type of social media consume matter and does the intention with which it's consumed and with which it's produced matter? And the answer is yes. And so what drove worse body image wasn't actually people consuming more media it was if they were consuming it with the intention of validation or the intention of wanting uh, social approval whereas if it was you know selfies for example they studied and selfies that were shared with the intention of education or the intention of uh, empowerment had a very different effect and and could even be and could even be positive and were positively correlated with it so the intention really matters and if we look at like what we prefer to see Than what happens right now. You know, what we prefer to see is a shift towards that value-driven marketing. And if you're out there and you know, you've been marketing with transformation photos and you're feeling a bit like, holy shit, they've just attacked my whole business model. Like, what do I do instead? That you can do a A, you can do a slow transition out of it. It doesn't have to be like a cold turkey thing. But also acknowledging that like when you do value-driven marketing, it might take a little bit longer to build your business. It might not be as quick and that can be scary, but I think it's very worth it in the long run. And in the long run, you end up building actually a much more consistent and solid client base who are really going to stick with you for the long run because they believe in the values that you're going to be bringing to their life rather than staying with you until they've achieved a physical result and then peacing out.
0: One of the things that I would absolutely love to see, and then I think we we should probably move on to our next section. Is that right? One of the things I would really love to see is someone that like, doesn't have cellulite or doesn't have rolls and it's just like hey like i my body do, you know doesn't have all of these things that people seem to be freaking out about so i'm not going to like hunch over and try to make belly rolls i'm just going to be like hey my body doesn't have these things and i can still have issues about my body. Because I think a lot of the time, what we see is people that are like, because we're we're like trending towards some of these more like vulnerability style posts and content is like people are going out of their way to like pinch their fat, or like, like lean over and show their roles. And it's like, hey, it's okay, if you don't have that stuff, like your body is not less worthy in this space, because you don't have cellulite or because and it's just like, your body is your body. Like, let's just leave it at that. And if it, if there are things you don't like about it, like that is totally fine. And if there, and also if there are things you do like about it, like that is also totally freaking fine. Like, I think there's nothing wrong. And this is something that I, that I I talk a lot about with my clients is like, you are allowed to celebrate yourself. You are totally allowed. Like if you take a photo of yourself, you're like, damn, I look good. Like you're totally allowed to be like, oh my gosh, I look really good. Like, that's great. That is amazing. And nobody should make you feel shameful for that. I think that what we're talking about is, is, is creating a contrast between I didn't like myself then and I do like myself now or I was worse then and I am better now. But honestly, if you want to celebrate yourself, if if you're a coach and you want to se- and and you want to celebrate, I mean, I think that, you know, when it comes to clients that's definitely something that you want to talk about with your clients and understand if it fits in with your marketing, but I think we need to be celebrating ourselves more and it's like if you take 45 selfies and you like 3 of them and you're like, "Damn, I look good." Like yeah. Post that shit. Go for it. Awesome. Let's celebrate you. Yeah. I think it'd be quite good
2: to actually just um, just quickly before we move on to just dif- differentiate between what we're talking about, this like fake vulnerability and actually just showing something. So I was just thinking about it then. And like the fake vulnerability thing could be like what we were talking about with like someone that is, you know, grabbing their roles or something like that. You you can sort of like get that message that it's, it is trying to kind of look for some kind of, I don't know, affirmation or validation there. But the way that you could do this, if this is something that maybe you're thinking about for if you're a coach or trainer or if you're thinking about, okay, how can I think more critically about this? It's like, okay, if you're going to post a video, let's just say, for example, doing a technique video on a deadlift, right? And maybe you do that video and you're like, wow, my cellulite is really showing there. You can put that up and you can just put your technique, I mean, write all your instructions or whatever, and you don't need to say anything about that. You know, it's like, that's just allowing it to like normalize and be like, okay, like we all have d- cellulite on the back of our legs when we're doing deadlifts, like cool. And that's where people feel seen because that's, we, we are all looking for ourselves and the, the content and the stuff that we're taking in. And so going back to what Holly was saying, you know, about this like value-driven marketing, it's like when people see that without any commentary on that it's just like okay cool like I'm pretty sure that that's what I look like as well like cool like I see myself in that so um I think that that's a kind of way that you can whereas you might see someone who's like you know thin white woman who's like grabbing her belly rolls and you're like fuck that looks like nothing like me and that is that doesn't really speak to me so that's a way that that can be differentiated I think
0: I love, I love that you brought that up, Olivia. And I think that that is so, so, so important is that like, if we're going to normalize stuff, like being normal about it doesn't mean we need to like call it out every single time. Like being normal about it is just like, just do it. And the more that we just do the thing, like it becomes less like, oh my gosh, I'm showing my cellulite. It's just like, okay, I'm a person that has cellulite. I'm going to post a picture of me and then I'm going to move on with my life. And so from here, there are some buzzwords. This is something that you guys, this is something I've been really obsessed with lately is like buzzwords that I keep seeing pop up or hearing or reading about. And one of the ones that you guys know I'm about to get like pretty fired up about this one is people using terms like intuitive eating and mindful eating as just like another way of being like careful about what you eat. Like, I think that intuitive eating and mindful eating are definitely used in different ways, but people will be like, yeah, just intuitive eating for weight loss. And I'm like, so basically you're intuitively paying attention to your body to make yourself be hungry because you know that that's how you're going to lose weight. Like intuitive eating is genuinely being open, curious, paying attention and giving yourself full permission to eat. And so if you may, you may become an intuitive eater or this is something that it's not just one day. You're like, I'm an intuitive eater now. Like it takes work and it's, it's work that you're going to up and then you're going to try again. And then some days it's going to be hard and some days it's going to be easier. And some days you're going to feel like a failure, but it takes work to become a true intuitive eater. And you may lose weight doing that you may gain weight doing that. You may not see any weight gain or loss doing that. But I think that the essence of what intuitive eating is, is not with the intention of changing your body. It's with the intention of treating your body with kindness and with respect, which means you respect your hunger cues. When you're hungry, you eat food. When you're not hungry, like maybe you have an emotional reason that you eat food. Maybe you eat something just because it's really freaking delicious. But like, intuitive eating is not with the intention of changing your body. Mindful eating, and this is something I've heard so many coaches be like, just be mindful about your choices. And what they're really saying is before you eat that Oreo, think about if it's really going to fit into your goals. And I'm like, oh God. Okay. So when we're talking, and I'm going to, I'm going to stop my rant here in a second, guys, because I know you guys have a lot to say on this too, but when we're talking about mindful eating, it is again, bringing this air of curiosity and yes, mindful eating is, it can be used for different intentions. If you are, for example, if you are looking to lose body fat, you can be mindful and curious and non-judgmental about your choices. And that can potentially lead to, to weight loss. And that is because you are are paying attention. You are also understanding that mindful eating, there is an, an element of physical and emotional health that is very, very important, but it is not the same as intuitive eating. And so when someone is telling you like, oh, just be, you know, on the weekends, be mindful about what you eat. Like you wanna really think about that. And like, are they just telling you to like be mindful and make sure you choose the salad? Are they just saying, don't eat the thing that you really want because you need to be mindful about what your, you need to think twice about what your goals are, or are they asking you to be more curious about the why behind? So I'm going to stop that there because I just got real work.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, a great example of that was Gwyneth Paltrow's intuitive fasting thing that book, was it a book or something that came out during, during lockdown, which was just Uh, so horrific and she was a perfect example yeah she was a perfect example of taking all these random buzzwords and just squashing them together and going here's a product based on everyone's fears right now and based on buzzwords and intuitive is one that's been really popular right and if we look at other sort of forms of diet that were probably well not probably were certainly absolutely fine in the context for which they were developed but has been sort of bastardized by diet culture you know intermittent fasting is another great example where intermittent fasting was developed dual right like sometimes for uh, longevity purposes and sort of biohacking stuff and then also um as like a medical intervention and in some uh, places it can be quite helpful you know taking into context the diet history and all that stuff but it's been taken and sort of the the diet culture has just completely ruined the original intention of intermittent fasting now we see things like intermittent fasting windows according to your body shape and if you have a pear shape you should fast from like uh, midday till midnight and if you have a you know, inverted triangle shape. You should do sixteen eight. And I was, and I'm like, this is just insanity. So that's that is oh, uh, one fitness buzzword that I hate. So, so just, I just fasting, need to, but just to in comment. the context. Yeah,
0: go ahead. I just need to comment on the fact that like you guys can't see this right now, but Olivia is literally her hands, her face is buried in her hands, and my eyes do not roll back far enough in my head. <laughs> like, I just needed I to throw that in there for the visual, guys. Yeah, I feel like I I apologize, Holly, continue. No, I was just going to
1: say, you know, when it comes to the buzzword side of that, it's not that I hate intermittent fasting as a concept, but I hate it as a buzzword. And I hate Mm -hmm. it as a buzzword in the context that we just framed it in, right? And similar with keto. I have no problems with keto as a concept. Like it's actually a really important um, therapeutic treatment for things like epilepsy and other um, neurological disorders and other autoimmune diseases that can be really helpful too. Uh, autism and those kinds of things are showing like a great deal of promise with but when it's again taken by diet culture and turned into a buzzword instead of a concept and we see the same kind of things like very fear-based marketing and the fact that we now see it in supermarkets like keto ice cream and stuff it's oh just like God. a great a great example of when you know something's become a buzzword instead of an actual concept and so I think that's something that we always want to be careful of. It's like is has a has a perfectly fine pattern of eating or therapeutic treatment or whatever else it started out as, has that been taken and turned into a buzzword? Because it might not have been before, but it certainly is now.
2: And I think that when you're looking at social media and you see people or products that are well, people, I mean, you've just touched on products, Holly, but um, you know, people who are saying like keto coach or, um, you know, macro coach even, or intermittent fasting for women coach or something like that. Like anyone that is, has got these kind of terms within what they're selling, but those like specific things is telling you that they're very, very biased to a very, very small piece of nutrition or fit, like fitness or, you know, whatever. And that is something for you because whenever we are talking about nutrition or fitness or anything like that, we always want to be aware of biases because where are people coming at something? Where are people coming from like having that bias of something if it's like keto and where are they blind to anything else that could be actually going on? And so that is just something that we need to be um, really, really mindful of. And I think that you know, going on from that sort of tying into that idea of like intuitive eating as well as something that kind of grinds my gears quite a bit is when people are like, just listen to your body when it comes to exercise, because it's just like, listen to your body when it comes to food, but it's actually really unhelpful advice when it's like, people don't even know if there is someone that is feeling so stuck with what they're doing, feeling really unhappy with their body or just feeling confused and frustrated. And to have someone say, Hey babe, just listen to your body. It's like, what the fuck does that actually mean? And I think that then it is this idea of like, okay, cool. Like listening to my body, like intuition, like what you were saying Jillian right it's like we should just know what to do but because we are adults and we have grown up with a whole lot of conditioning and we're not babies anymore we don't know just like what naturally to do because we've relied on other people and social media and you know things to tell us what to do we don't even know ourselves then we often can be actually doing the things that actually aren't even helpful for us, like keto or something like that, when we're still just like trying to find the answers. So I think that the way to actually listen to your body is through structure, which seems very counterintuitive. But the only way that we can actually start to understand ourselves and, and learn to listen to our body, to be in more, more in tune with our body, is through and paying attention is through having kind of some frameworks or structure to allow the headspace, So we take away the drama of kind of like, should I, shouldn't I with stuff? And then we can start to figure out what it actually is that we need or what we want or what we desire or what feels good and what doesn't feel good.
0: I'm, I'm not gonna dig too much into this listen to your body because I think that you just went into it really, really well. But I think that when someone, like if someone says, just listen to your body, understand that that requires a certain a certain level of of development and understanding and so before you listen to your body you actually just need to notice any signals that may come up and you need you need to understand that you're not going to hop directly from like I am following all of these rules to I know exactly what my body needs in all in it at all times and so if anybody just tells you just listen to your body that is like telling you to be like just do algebra but you've never actually like you don't know how to do algebra yet you have to go through the steps in order to understand what that looks like and i think that moving on from that i think there's a couple other buzzwords especially like in the so the the last two that i want to talk about as far as nutrition and then there's a couple that we wanted to talk about with training is this idea of like starvation mode or that you have a broken metabolism and that is So basically, when people are talking about starvation mode, what they're referring to is something called metabolic adaptation. And basically what happens is when you eat a very low amount of calories for an extended period of time, your body adapts to using the amount of energy that you give it. And so that is where, like, for example, um, when we all lost our periods. That was some form of metabolic adaptation where our bodies were like, Hey, we don't need to do this process. It's not necessary. So like, we're just going to not do it anymore. And so you're not in starvation mode. This isn't something that like all of a sudden your metabolism breaks and it doesn't work because you would die. Like if your metabolism doesn't work, like you would literally not be alive. So this is, is another term, like broken metabolism sounds a lot fancier than your metabolism has adapted. But that's because our bodies are freaking intelligent. And I'm going to leave it there. The last thing I was going to say on that was, you know, the other problem with starvation mode or
1: broken metabolism is the implication that your metabolism has done something wrong and that your body yeah. has done something, done something bad. Whereas actually what it's done is something that's incredible and good and it's trying to keep Saving you alive life. and keep you in optimal yes. health. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, that the the wording of it is is problematic in itself. But yeah, and then, you know, the last the last few ones we wanted to discuss were, were shifting back in the... Exercise direction. But I mean, the next one that I'll touch on, I think it applies to both to foods and to exercise. And that's this fat-burning concept. And this comes up in food forms in terms of supplements, like fat-burning supplements and then workouts that are supposedly like fat-burning workouts. And we talked about this a little bit before on previous podcasts. So I won't talk about it for too long, but I won't bring it up because it's one of my absolute least favorite fitness industry buzzwords. And the problem with it is that it's kind of true. Like many of these workouts do end up burning more fuel from fat than an alternative workout might do, or a supplement might cause your body to oxidize more fat rather than carbs. But the problem with it is that it's marketed as though by burning fat, you will lose weight. Whereas what it actually means is that your body is just using more fat for fuel. But if we are still consuming the same amount of calories and haven't made any changes to our lifestyle at all, we'll just be replenishing that same fat store. And so whether or not you're burning fat for a weight loss context is pretty irrelevant. If you're trying to do it for a performance context, maybe it makes more sense now. And also ignores all the um, differences between men and women and how we oxidize fat in a very different way to men anyway so yeah that that's my last comment on fat burning and then I think the last things we wanted to touch on that I know Olivia has a lot of thoughts on is a the bastardization of hit. As a concept and then the muscle confusion concept that goes along with it, which we talked a little bit about last week when I talk about programming.
2: I think that you just um totally summed up that fat burning thing really well, Holly. Um, that was that was on point. Yeah, I mean, just really quickly here, the muscle confusion thing, just quickly on this, is that there is no scientific evidence. doing random or different things all the time, that that is causing confusion with your muscles and that is what is going to break you out of a plateau or it's going to mean that you're going to build muscle more or going to have more of an effective workout. What we do know from the science is that when you are just progressing over time with intensity or volume like load, that is when you actually make progress. And it, we do want to have variance in what we're doing. But when we're talking about variance, we want that to be within a framework. So doing random kind of workouts like every single day for muscle confusion is probably only going to lead you to burnout, um, to fatigue, to potential injury, um, because you're not actually allowing yourself to develop better motor control within a movement pattern to then work more efficient and work at the intensity that you actually want to. And so that leads me into the idea of HIT. Now, like the fat burning thing, Holly, HIT is really hard as well because it's actually true. Like high-intensity exercise for some people is very legitimate. You know, like people that are working really hard, it's high-intensity exercise. But if we're thinking about like it from a proper standpoint of like exercise science of like high-intensity interval training, that in that realm is like anaerobic training, which is very difficult. And most people don't actually have the strength nor the ability or capacity to even go into anaerobic training. But high-intensity training is something that... So in that realm, it's more, we call that aerobic training. But for people who don't have high literacy within exercise, then that is still high intensity exercise. So it's it's more the problem of the way that it's actually marketed, I think, and that when we're talking about marketing with um, high intensity exercise, of the promises that it's actually giving you I mean we know that there is a positive metabolic adaptation that we can get from high intensity exercise but we need to have the right dose response we need to have the right qualifications to do so to make that actually effective and how that's actually sort of done for you as an individual so it's a really, it's a really tough one, but I think that that's something that we always just have to be critical about. Okay. What, what, what are they sort of selling me here? And are they promising that if I do high intensity exercise, I'm going to have a body like this?
0: Yeah. I think the, the last bit on high intensity exercise before we kind of sum everything up is Tabata's. So I think Tabata is used as <laughs> Olivia just laughed. Um, Tabata is used as this like, Hey, we we'll are doing this Tabata workout. It's going to torture your fat. And it's like, okay, so the original understanding of Tabata was like literally like 20 seconds of as intense as you can possibly go with 10 seconds of rest. And so when we're seeing people doing Tabatas of like crunches or Tabatas of like air squats, like that is not the same you're not, It, it doesn't have the same benefits as what the original development of the Tabata protocol was. You're simply following the same time structure that was used in the original development of the the tabata exercise. So this is where, you know, this is not to tell you don't do tabatas, but I think that if you are doing tabatas believing that they are going to have a significant fat burning effect that is different from any other uh, time interval, you're probably not going to see the benefit that you you believe that you will see. So I'll I'll sum up what we
1: talked about today and for sure this doesn't cover all the things that we are a little peeved about in the fitness industry, but today we wanted to just touch on some of our Least favorite things in the fitness industry, and give some alternatives to how it could be. Um, and obviously, the the main thing we discussed today was body transformation marketing, and I think that's because it's something that, for us at least, is probably one of the most problematic areas of the fitness industry, and is what it tends to all be based on. And most of the fitness industry buzzwords that we talked about afterwards are buzzwords and have become buzzwords because they're all based on. The way that the fitness industry does its marketing a common theme for us today was not that we dislike any of the concepts that we mentioned but that we dislike the them being turned into a buzzword to be used for fear-based marketing and most of the concepts we mentioned today when used in the way that they were initially intended to be used are absolutely fine and even with transformations there's absolutely nothing wrong with transforming your own body like power to you if you're on that journey but we don't want to fall into the trap of using this stuff to sell to people And I think it's
0: like just to, to kind of wrap up on that and you said that so 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 well Holly is that it's like we say all the time it's like it's not the what it's the how And so this is like, you know, and I've said this on social media, I said this on this podcast, we're all in agreement here that there's absolutely nothing wrong with wanting to change your body, but there are ways to do it and there are ways to do it. And and you can do it from a place of like, I don't like myself. I cannot live in this body. I don't feel comfortable in this body. Or you can do it as like, Hey, there are some things I'd like to change, but like, this is the body I live in. The body I live in, even if what it looks like changes, isn't really going to change that much. I still am who I am. And so I'm going to be comfortable living in here no matter what the outside looks like. And that is something that, again, easy to say, not so easy to put in practice at times. But like everything we do with the Be Well Cartels, we hope to take you closer to that uh, to that state. As always, if you liked this, this episode, please share it with the people in your life that you think might benefit from it. Every person that you share it with, think of it as like in, in hook. Remember when, um, when the fairy with the, uh, or when Tinkerbell like needs claps, like you have to clap for her to live. Like that's how be Buell cartel lives is every time you share a podcast, we clap and Tinkerbell lives on. And if you've never watched the movie hook, please go turn this episode off and go watch that. I promise you, if you have kids, they'll be very happy about it. Any last words? I, <laughs> I just love we're... that we've been
1: compared to magical fairies. I think that um, comparison was very apt.
0: I have to say you guys are magical fairies, especially the magical book fairy that brought me my birthday present two months after my birthday. Finally and I happens. started reading, yeah, I started reading um, women. What is it? Women lift each other up. Strong women lift each other up. Strong women lift each other up. And I have to say, just makes me so grateful for you too. So I'm not going to start rambling because I know we've been talking for an hour now. But I love you guys. You're the best. <laughs> See you next week. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Be Well Cartel podcast. Make sure to hit follow on the podcast app of your choice, share this episode, and leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts. It is a small effort with a big reward and the best way for other like-minded individuals to find the Be Well Cartel. To learn more about the Be Well Cartel community, stay up to date with us on Instagram at Cartel, and see you again next week. We love feedback, so if you have anything to share with us, please reach out via Instagram to let us know what we are doing well, what we can improve on, and how we can support you.